Hello, and welcome to The Chambers. I'm your host, Tony Keats, and this is a podcast about municipal issues. Issues we all need to talk about. On today's podcast, we will talk about the 2022 federal budget and the impacts it has on municipalities. Let's take a moment, and I'll be right back with the CEO of the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, Carol Saab. And she will be joining us from her home in Ottawa. Just a note, you will find some of the audio somewhat muffled, and I apologize for that. But I have listened to our wonderful conversation concerning our many municipalities from coast to coast to coast throughout our great country. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with Carol Saab. Good evening, Carol, and welcome to the Chambers. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you, Tony. Uh, Carol, it's been a while uh, since uh, myself and you had a conversation or met, uh, especially with COVID on the go. Uh, Just let everyone know that I was a part of FCM one time. I was on the FCM board for two years as president of Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador. And my time with FCM, uh, I must say, was uh, was very enjoyable, very productive. And uh, I know you from that time. And congratulations, by the way, on becoming the uh, CEO. Thank you so much, Tony. Well, it was a pleasure uh, working with you, as it is with working uh, with our members across the country. So it's a real, uh, it's a real honor to be CEO, and I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and you took over at a very crucial time, to be honest with you, especially with the pandemic. Uh, Carol, talking about the pandemic, how how difficult has time been over the last two years for? not only for FCM and your employees and the board, but for, you know, the municipalities throughout Canada. Yeah, it's, it's been a very difficult two years, really, I mean, right across the board for, for our members. Um, they have been really, you know, working on the front lines of this pandemic, ensuring that they're keeping communities safe, adapting to the many, many necessary changes as this virus has changed shape and form to make sure that services are running, make sure that um, Canadians are safe in communities across the country. You know, communities of different sizes have had different kinds of challenges associated with the pandemic. And so it's been, it's been a, a tough uh, two years in that regard for, for municipalities across the country. That said, I think it's also been um, really, from my vantage point, having having a bird's eye view across the country and speaking to our members right across the country, I'm um, really inspiring to see the way that municipalities have adapted the resilience of our members in the face of such a significant challenge. And it really drives home uh, the point of the the very first hand uh, role that that municipalities play. You know, we always say municipalities are the the order of government closest to the people. Uh, and in a time of a crisis like this pandemic, you certainly see that in real time. You, you certainly see the, the necessity of communities uh, being deeply engaged and leading leading response uh, in real time. And so it's been it's been tough. It's been um, inspiring, and you know you never want to come across um, silver linings in the way that we did through through the course of a pandemic. But it's, there's also been some learnings, I think, that are that are positive coming out of this as well. And so. Um, you know, and for FCM as an organization, Tony, it's, it's, we're facing the same thing as many organizations are across the country, and we've had to evolve rapidly, uh, and I'm very proud of how our, our team has been able to do that to, to ensure that our members' interests uh, stay front and center and that we're able to continue to deliver uh, despite the disruption. 
Yeah, so true. I, I, I 100% agree. Carol, I've always said that municipalities are the first level of government. You know, we, we live in the, those, those municipalities. We work in those municipalities. You know, we know what the problems are. And pretty much, Carol, we know, you know, what solutions sometimes it takes to solve those problems when we, when we come across them. Uh, but, you know, talking about the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, it, it, it brings me right back to, you know, when we used to talk a lot about, and I know we still do, uh, we used to talk a lot about the uh, broadband and, and the need for broadband. You know, we learned so much over the last couple of years and, uh, you know, we truly learned we need accessible, reliable internet access. And Carl, you know, where do FCM come off on, on, on making sure that, you know, all of our communities have that, so not only because of the pandemic, but because a lot of us, you know, work from home, we communicate, that's how we communicate with our family members. So right now, Carl, where do FCM stand with the broadband situation within Canada? Yeah, I'm so glad you raised that and, and you're bang on in terms of um, describing it as the real uh, necessity that it is. You know, we, prior to the pandemic, we were always making the case that uh, it goes be, I mean, it is and it's important as a quality of life issue, but it goes beyond that, you know, for safety. It's the real thing. Uh, for economic development, it's the real thing. For education, it's the real thing. Um, for access to health services, it's the real thing. And we were making that case well before the pandemic as we continue to advocate uh, for better access to broadband for all of our members. Um, and certainly, again, you know, pandemics underscored the necessity of access, reliable access to the adequate um, internet for for Canadians. You know, at a time when we the whole the whole world was being told to stay home, to work from home, to do virtual schooling from home, to access things that you you know access health services, access everything online, um, that wasn't possible for a large swath of the country given the insufficient broadband uh, service. And and so it really underscores the case that we've been trying to push what feels like up a very big hill for a very long time. Uh, that universal broadband access must be a policy objective. It must be an advocacy objective for us accordingly. Uh, and so we continue to, to have this be the top issue. I'll tell you, it is the number one thing we hear from our, our rural members across the country, uh, that this is their top priority. And so we work on that accordingly. And we've been uh, really consistently testing the federal government on this. We're going to continue uh, to make sure that the, the investments the government has set aside uh, continue to be uh, implemented and that we're, we're prioritizing um, prioritizing that on the go forward. You know, as I said, it's all of those things from a health and safety perspective, um, from an education perspective, but it really is also uh, an economic development issue. And so the recovery that Canada is going to need coming out of this also needs to really take root in our rural communities. It's where people live and work, where we're raising families. Um, and that's going to necessitate uh, a further push on, and a rural recovery, a further push on adequate access to, to broadband. And so that remains one of our top priorities at FCM. You know that we've been at it a long time, and we've seen significant progress, um, but not nearly enough, not fast enough. And so we're going to continue to push. So true, so true, Carol. I, I know, you know, the concerns of broadband and so many more is, you know, it, it, it's not advocating if we don't advocate all the time and, and, and those little rewards add up at the end when, you know, when, when we do, our fruits do come to fruition. So, so keep at it. Uh, broadband is very important. Uh, Carol, in the FCM statement on the 22 federal budget, uh, your president, our president, uh, um, Mrs. Vander Aden, 
she said that affordable housing is one of the top priorities. Uh, let's start there. I know in the budget, uh, you know, there's four, I think four million dollars, four billion, sorry, was provided over the next five years uh, to, uh, to create or the creation of 100,000 new homes over the next five years. Uh, let's talk about building affordable houses, you know, the rapid housing initiatives and the affordable housing in the north and, and greener buildings if we can. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you did. You're right in our identifying our president named it exactly as a, a top priority, and it is. And we hear that, you know, I should say from members of all sizes right across this country. You know, I just said rural communities identify broadband as number one. Number two is housing, right? And so people often think housing and they think about it in an urban context, but it's, it's an issue. It has a different face um, in different sized communities, but it's an issue right across this country. And so we were very active. Um, in pushing for investments in housing. Uh, we were pleased with the investments that we saw. The budget made uh, pretty bold investments. You've named some, and I'm happy to, to get into them, um, to really sort of uh, work toward ending homelessness, but also uh, make progress toward more affordable housing for Canadians across the country. Uh, so the $4 billion that you mentioned is the Housing Accelerator Fund. Uh, and it really, really thinks this fund has the potential to be transformative um, because it is working and geared towards directly municipalities uh, to support their capacity to build new housing faster. Uh, again, for direct and flexible investments in municipalities, and as you so rightly stated, who you know, municipalities are the ones who most understand what the what the local supply needs are. Um, what was really encouraging to see, and I, I really believe it's the result of FCM advocacy, was that uh, there was also clear language uh, in the federal budget and a clear commitment to ensuring that that fund is going to take into account smaller and rural communities as well that are growing quickly. Uh, it was very important recognition for us that there is a unique rural housing need that needs to continue to be addressed. So um, we think it, this fund has the capacity to, uh, to really support progress in, in cities and communities of all sizes. So that's a very positive development. Um, you also mentioned the Rapid Housing Initiative. Again, in response to some advocacy from, from SCM and our members, uh, that is, you know, the Rapid Housing Initiative is one of the policy silver linings to have been born of the pandemic, I would say. You know, it, it created, the conditions were so urgent, uh, we needed to get people off the street uh, who were also contending with the pandemic. Um, going forward, and it forced everyone, all orders of government, uh, to work together in an unprecedented way. And out of that, the Rapid Housing Initiative was born. And it, it's a real success story of what's possible when we when we put sort of jurisdictional issues aside mm. and, and prioritize Canadians in the conversation and work together, um, because we've been able uh, to house over the past 18 months, amid a pandemic, thousands of Canadians with thousands more units on the way. And so uh, that is a program that is working. We were very pleased to see uh, an extension uh, and, and scaling of that. We think that that uh, has potential to, to continue to grow and should become a, a, a longer term, bigger tool, um, given how effective it is. But very good progress to see in that in the federal budget. Um, and there was also extension of reaching home uh, funding, which again is a community-based strategy for tackling homelessness. Mm -hmm. um, so really, we welcome that uh, extension as well. Um, part of what you know was sort of under under um, uh, referenced by the media, um, because it's a bit in the weeds, but anyone in local government would appreciate 
uh, this, that there was a real commitment uh, to improve some existing uh, national housing programs under the national housing strategy, in particular the rental construction financing initiative, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the co-investment fund. Uh, there, there have been implementation challenges in moving that money uh, and enabling cities to access that has been a challenge. Um, so it's a really critical commitment that the government has has said that they would work with uh, SPM and our members to, to try to make some improvements um, to go forward. So that's, that's the good news um, mm -hmm. in there on housing, and there's a lot of it. And so this was a really good and big budget for housing. Um, you know, from our perspective, uh, one thing that's going to need to happen in the housing space beyond that um, is really working uh, to co-develop an adequately funded urban Indigenous housing strategy. Mm -hmm. Uh, that needs to, of course, be done in partnership with Indigenous housing providers. Um, but that is a real issue, and we hear that from our members as well. Uh, that we need to we need to help support um, Indigenous uh, uh, folks who are experiencing homelessness um, in urban, rural, and northern communities as well. And so that's uh, that's progress. That while we while we try to shape the accelerator fund, while we try to continue to to have this broader conversation, um, we need to continue to work in that area. But overall, I would say you know, the budget really recognized that to make some progress in the housing space, we need to grow the federal municipal partnership that's been working so well. So true, so true. I, I see there was two more things in, in their little plan there too, was, you know, the foreign investment, the ban on foreign investment, and the uh, property flipping, which, uh, you know, it, it do have some kind of uh, effect on when, when you get uh, people trying to buy homes, uh, you know, the, the investment, the foreign investment into buying homes makes them more expensive uh, for those who can't afford it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, you know, and, you know, you, you, it's true about housing, and people always point to how complex an issue it is. Uh, and it is complex, and it's a big issue, right, across the country, but we've been really advocating that the complexity cannot be an excuse for an action, and that the real, the real soul to this is making sure that the orders of government are working closely together uh, in partnership to drive results, and that we're also sure. working with the not-for-profit and the private sector. You know, this has got to be an all-hands-on-deck effort. Yep. Um, and the real, the real gap right now is that kind of collaboration, not the policy solution. No, making sure, like you know, what I've always pushed, especially when I was part of uh, municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador is that you know we need that seat at the table we make you know we we, we want to make sure there's anything that's happening in our communities that we do have a voice and we do have a say in what's happening right exactly exactly and you know i mentioned this before but i i you know i hope that when you go for something like a pandemic um you sort of you know you always see yourself you always see your community members you, you know the government owes canadians to really learn the lessons uh that we can learn from it and one of those uh, really is around the success of the Rapid Housing Initiative. You know, I have to tell you, having a first-hand uh, view to this, being directly involved personally, the federal government really engaged at an unprecedented level with SDM to get the design of that program right. Yes. And we're seeing what happens when, yeah. when municipalities are at the table and can inform federal program design. It, it delivers results. It yeah. works. Exactly. So that's, that's the model that I hope we can continue to build on for how we work together. Yeah, and I see inside that, that rapid housing initiative, you know, I, I think I've seen 25% uh, as to go towards uh, uh, women-focused housing projects. Yeah, we know, we know right, as with all things, um, that in the pandemic especially, that, that some, you know, women, um, vulnerable communities, racialized mm -hmm. communities experience the pandemic uh, unevenly. Right. right, and you know, there's a lot of we're all in this together. 
Uh, and certainly we all need to come out of this together, but we also need to recognize that we didn't all go into it together and we need to come out of it in a more equitable state. That's right. Carol, just to move on, uh, you know, climate change and the climate crisis, uh, you know, we all know that uh, there is a big change in, in, in our climate. We need to take responsibility. Um, I just completed a climate leadership course uh, through the University of Waterloo, which was offered through uh, you guys, through the FCM. Um, you know, I see in my little small community, we had to take a, a preventative action, uh, making sure that, you know, we, we are um, looking at all of our infrastructure, making sure that, you know, we're, we're doing more to to make sure that there is no problems, there's no, you know, we we we, we want to fix it before it gets worse, kind of kind of thing, you know. We just had we just had a sewage outfall, uh, taking in salt water infiltration, and you know we had some damage to our infrastructure. We had some road and uh, uh, infrastructure problems with climate change, wind and the water where we live on ocean. Uh, so so Carol, uh, you know I. Um, we must look at you know preventative measures and where do where do FCM come off on climate change and, and climate adapt, adaptation and, and the crisis that we're going through with climate change? Yeah, yeah it, it's a critical issue, right? This is the, the defining challenge of, of our of our time uh, and certainly cities and communities are on the front lines of it, right? You, you see the hundred year storms that we're supposed to be preparing for are, are happening every few years and they're having devastating impacts whether it's flooding, whether it's wildfires, like what happened in Lisbon, whether it's um, heat domes as was happening in British Columbia. I mean, the climate-related disasters are are increasing in frequency, and municipalities are on the very front lines of that. And and so this is a top priority for FCM as well. We are very immersed in this conversation in a number of ways, and I'll sort of divide it in two two sections. You know, there's mitigation and the work that we need to do on on mitigating GHG emissions uh, to, to help. Um, with, on the climate side, and then there's also resilience, right, right. where we need to be able to um, invest in adaptation for all the infrastructure across the country, given the current reality, and we need to protect against what we know is coming um, going forward. And so on, on the mitigation side, we were encouraged by what we saw in the federal budget. Um, it, actually, just ahead of the federal budget, the government put out an emissions reduction plan. Uh, there was very uh, deep engagement with FCM, and you'll see for the first time um, language in that emission reduction plan that, that identifies the necessity in your municipalities as an essential partner in tackling climate change. It lays out some important specific targets um, for us to work for and identifies that a deeper federal municipal partnership is going to be necessary. And so that's a positive indication. And it's like you know as well as I do, Tony, that, that what's going to matter is whether or not uh, cities and communities uh, have the have the resources to, to take on the issue at scale, and so what where where we need to go uh, with the federal government is continue to invest in in capacity for cities and communities across the country to be able to, to implement what has been identified in the emissions reduction plan. And so coming out of this, we hope to be a big part of the conversation on implementation tools, implementation funding that we need to see. Um, and then what wasn't in the budget, which um, which is, a, which is a gap that the government will, will need to take into account and rectify in the, the upcoming budget, um, is investment in infrastructure uh, from a climate resilience perspective. Mm -hmm. So we didn't see uh, any any investment, uh, significant investment in adaptation. We know that the Disaster Mitigation and Adaptation Fund is oversubscribed every year by our members um, because the need is real. 
Um, and so this year, the government is, is working on a national adaptation strategy. That's a good thing. Uh, we hope that we will be engaged deeply, and, and it's encouraging to early signs of that, or that we will be, and it's encouraging to be a part of that conversation. Um, and on the other end of it, we hope that there's a very serious plan for how to, how to fund um, the adaptation and resilience work that needs to happen, uh, both through the Disaster Mitigation and Adaptation Fund starting in next budget, um, and also through building that kind of capacity going forward for municipalities. You know, the, the problem is so big and so large. Right. You know as well as I do the limited tools that municipalities have. So we need to help them build that toolbox um, mm -hmm. if we're going to actually make progress from a climate perspective. It needs to be both on mitigation and adaptation, and we need to be given the tools to do it. That's true, that's true. I don't know if everybody knows or not, Carl, but, you know, FCM represents 90% of all Canadians from coast to coast to coast, and, and you know, that's very important when we got an organization who looks after, who, who represents, and who advocates for, for our residents in Canada. That's absolutely true, you know, and in the context of climate, it's an important thing, you know. Our members are also folks who are uh, represent and are, are part of a thriving um, energy sector in Canada that has a very, a very significant task at hand uh, to transition, and that is a big part of our work as well. We we struck a Western Economic Solutions Task Force last last fall that put local communities uh, in oil and gas producing regions at the very heart of the transition and made some very specific recommendations with the government as a result. Mm -hmm. um, so some of those we've already seen them take action on, which is encouraging. Um, but our work, uh, you know, as we continue to, to make the case on climate change and, and help our communities take significant action on that front, we also want to make sure that uh, we're helping all communities be a part of the recovery, all communities uh, continue to play a role in our national economy, um, and that while we're on a pathway to net zero emissions, uh, that we're also working with communities um, that are part of uh, our energy producing regions to innovate, to adapt, uh, to support the infrastructure and economic development needs uh, so that we can really have a place-based transition that respects, respects local solutions going forward. Exactly. Carol, in, uh, you know, a lot of our cities are struggling when it comes to the transit system, especially with the shortfall due to COVID-19 and the riders' uh, downturn due to, you know, restrictions in COVID-19. Carol, did we get anything or any kind of commitment from the federal government on about to address these shortfalls? We did, actually. This is one of the sort of the, the big Uh, and so we were back again last year uh, 
looking for a real uh, relief from the federal government um, and the provincial government. And we saw again after after uh, a long road of advocacy, too long a road, if you need to give us the severity of the issues of the country, um, some action from both the federal and provincial government uh, committing again to the emergency operating support for municipalities. Um, going forward on on transit in particular. And so, uh, again, we have another one-year reprieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, transit isn't going to come back uh, full force all at once. It's not going to be a light switch, which we know. So um, but so we're going to have to have a continued conversation of, with this government. But, but the real bigger conversation, Tony, which you know as a PM we've been talking about for a long time, municipal leaders like yourself have been advocating for for a long time, is... You know, municipalities are taking on a bigger and bigger and bigger role yep. in, in national issues as we go forward. And the resourcing towards that is not flowing. You know, we are reliant on the property tax. Yep. Uh, and and that is uh, really a foot municipality. We saw just how vulnerable we are at a time of crisis. You exactly. know, I, I think quite sincerely, it took months before we had severe financial crisis in municipalities across the country without emergency support. Uh, that, to me, needs to be one of the main lessons uh, we learn as a country is that, that, that the current approach is not working. It leaves our cities and communities, which are critical to Canadians, a critical part of our economy, uh, too vulnerable. And we need to have a big conversation about about how uh, how to give cities and communities the, the resources and authorities that match their now uh, very different role from when, when the Constitution was first set yes. up. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, Carl, wastewater. Carl, we, uh, you know, I was a part of uh, MNL when we were very successful in getting the Department of Environment to revisit the wastewater systems influence uh, regulations um, and to change those compliance dates. You know, we were successful in that. Carl, right now, where do FCM stand, and 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 where are you two on wastewater issues uh, in our in our country? Yeah, it's, uh, our, our, we're still sort of actively working away. Again, there is progress, and I really have to give a shout out to you, Tony, your colleagues, and and folks. Uh, I know you were speaking to Craig earlier as well, Paulette, um, who who's the CEO of MNL. I mean, they're really. Uh, MNL led such an amazing advocacy effort. We obviously worked hand in glove uh, with them as well at a federal level. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the impact change, you know, when the when the regulations were first introduced in 2012, there were significant concerns for municipalities, not about the goal or the objective. Everyone understood the importance of putting the measures in place sure. to protect the coastal, coastal environment. But the, the reality was municipalities simply did not have the resources to get there in the in the way in the timelines of the way that we're being described, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, that that really prompted significant advocacy efforts um, by MNL. Uh, FCM was a big part of that and, and supporting that at a federal level, um, and we were really pleased that the federal government uh, took action um, and and uh, that we've now heard that they also um, are going to provide an opportunity to to inform amending the legislation. Um, and so we're really we're really happy that those regulations uh, are, are open for consultation. That there will be a new opportunity um, to uh, you know for applying for for transitional authorizations. That, that that's going to be part of the proposed amendments. And sure. so right now we are actively encouraging all of our members, municipalities across the country, uh, to share their perspectives, their concerns as part of the consultation pro- uh, process. Um, and we know that. Uh, it's going to be a very critical first step, and so uh, 
federal government going forward. You know, as I said, when this was implemented in 2012, the cost that we're going to need, uh, that we're going to be borne by municipalities, far exceeded the envelope of funding available to them. That's right. Ten years later, those costs have only increased. Uh, and so there remains a pretty significant concern about how municipalities will be able to, to um, do this financially to build the infrastructure, make the changes that we that are we all agree are needed. Mm-hmm. They cannot do it alone. No. Um, and current infrastructure funding packages uh, are not sufficient. That's right. Um, and so this is going to be a continued conversation where where we have a you know we're saying to the federal government we have a shared objective. Yeah. We simply do not have the tools. Uh, you have the levers to help us, and we need to have this conversation through that lens. And so it's been, I'll tell you, it's been um, a collaborative, uh, open discussion on that. Um, so we hope, uh, working with Minister Blanc in his role, um, that we're going to continue to be able to, to have this prioritized and encouraging to see the, the listening and the progress they've made so far, but certainly still uh, still an important thing for all of us to push on and and we'll be working with MNL very closely as well going forward. Yeah, that's a true example of, you know, having a seat at the table, and, you know, it do work out, right? Yeah, right. That's yeah. exactly right. Carol, just to tack on the uh, the RCMP issue, uh, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know or not, but, you know, many municipalities are wrestling with the uh, radioactive contract policing costs that resulted from a new uh, federally negotiated RCMP labor agreement. Um, are you and FCM, you know, did we get anything out of the budget or, or you know, where's this issue to now as, as we stand? Yeah, we, well, I'll tell you, we are seized with this issue at FCM, and this is actually a, a great example of what happens when we're not at the table, and it's a, it's a negative. That's right. <laughs> it's a bad example, um, but it's a useful one and instructive to learn from. Um, so we did not see anything in the budget by way of uh, funding and commitment, and I'll, you know, but there is, there has been some progress, and it is an ongoing conversation. So um, let me tell you what we've done and where we're at. Um, and you, you define the issue correctly. You know, municipalities were not at the table when uh, a, a new collective agreement um, was was struck with the National Police Federation. Again, this is not a comment on the collective agreement or what's in there, no. but the reality is that it imposes massive significant retroactive costs on municipalities without any consultation that's right uh, and beyond beyond the lack of consultation many municipalities and costs are so significant that they simply cannot will not be able to, to pay them no. and so uh we have raised this with the federal government i mean obviously uh it, it is fundamentally unfair but very practically uh, not not a possible situation for most most of our members who are facing these these massive increase in costs. Um, so what we've done, we've been really consistently raising concerns about the impact of that um, with the federal government. It includes ongoing advocacy with the Minister of Public Safety, uh, the Minister of Finance, and intergov really uh, rural exev right across the cabinet and the Prime Minister's office, as well as with opposition members. Uh, we've been talking to everyone we can. Um, about this issue. Uh, the progress that we've seen is the federal government has confirmed that the invoices for the retroactive amounts were, will no longer be sent in the immediate future uh, so that they can have conversations with municipalities and better understand the financial implications. That's the direct result that the advocacy. So that delay is good news. It opens the door for, for conversation and the, our understanding is that it really is intended um, to relieve the pressure on, on communities to, to have to make those payments in the upcoming, in this current fiscal year. 
Um, that said, obviously a delay in the bill doesn't resolve the larger issue. The bill is still going to come unless something significant changes there. Um, and so the municipalities are still facing unforeseen costs um, that are going to maybe force them to make some pretty hard choices, including cutting services or raising taxes. Um, but, but the delay at least gives us an opportunity to continue the conversation with the federal government and figure out a longer-term solution. Um, our position remains that the federal government should cover all of the retroactive costs associated with the new RCMP labor regime and that uh, municipalities should be properly consulted prior to implementation of anything that will affect local fiscal sustainability and, and uh, the ability to maintain effective levels of police services in communities across. And so it's clear they're hearing us. They understand a problem. You know, I'm having a lot of these conversations personally myself. There is a clear understanding of the problem. There is an understanding that there, we need to find a solution, um, but there isn't a commitment to a solution just yet. And so we're going to continue to uh, make the advocacy, conduct the advocacy that we've been doing, um, working very closely again with our provincial and territorial associations like MNL, um, but across the country. Yes. Uh, to paint, a, paint a national picture of the impact. Uh, that will help drive the next the next wave of advocacy here. Um, and so we're asking our members uh, to continue the conversations with their MPs, uh, with their local media, um, and, and to ensure that the awareness of the issue, which was very little at the outset, um, continues to, to build. And, and I'm confident that um, united across the country, really our efforts are going to be, are, are the key to success, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll see some uh, progress on the solution side beyond the delay. Sure. Uh, Carol, one of the, the big issues that we're facing right now in our province of Newfoundland and Labrador, not only in our province, I'm, 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 I'm guessing, but in northern Canada and throughout Canada, when in, you know, other municipalities, is doctor retention, Carol. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's an issue that I brought up uh, to, the, to both federal and provincial uh, uh, governments. It's something that I talked about at FCM when I was part of the Rural Caucus. Um, you know, I know that issue is large, uh, especially in our little province, but Carl, do you, uh, what's the FCM's uh, views, or do you have any uh, comments on the doctor retention, keeping doctors and family doctors within, within rural communities and, and within, within communities as an whole for, for residents to Edville? Yeah, I mean, I'll put this to you in a, in a broader context. I think it's, it's, a, it's a symptom of the bigger conversation that we're having as well with the federal government, which is um, ensuring thriving, healthy, vibrant rural communities right across the country. You know, we, we know that rural Canada uh, drives a large part of our economy. We know that rural Canada is where many uh, of our, our citizens are living, calling home, them, and that the benefit um, of a thriving rural Canada is national. You know, mm -hmm. it's felt right across the country and went well beyond just the rural communities themselves sure. um, going forward. And so we've been having a conversation with the federal government about uh, really focusing in on and working together um, to, to build rural communities and address many of the exists a very, very good example of one um, going forward. Uh, that needs to be addressed with a, in a specific rural context and needs a specific solution. So, um, and similarly, as the government has a uh, big conversation nationally um, about issues around immigration policy, um, we municipalities need to be part of that conversation so we can be having uh, and informing them with an on-the-ground uh, perspective of what, what is needed in communities across the country and working together to get it right to build the kinds of 
welcoming, inclusive That's right. uh, communities and encourage uh, encourage um, population growth in, in communities right across the country. And so um, I think, you know, for us, this is part of a bigger rural strategy uh, that we're pushing for. Um, it's a big part of our conversation around, um, around uh, how we how we leverage uh, immigration, how we how we work together to build the, um, the kinds of communities and create the best sort of ecosystem um, to, to get uh, and attract um, the talent that is needed across the country and to make it the most welcoming uh, place that the people it can be and to build on our potential in that way. And so um, our work will continue on that. We've got um, a, an ongoing dialogue with the um, with Minister Hutchings, who's, who's really interested yes. in having this bigger conversation about rural Canada as well. Um, and, and I think what we're talking about, as the doctor mentioned, is, is exactly the kind of that um, needs a particular focus um, given the unique needs of rural Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol, I must commend you and FCM on the, uh, the federal government welcome package that you give to uh, existing and new MPs in the last election. Uh, the document was called Partners for Canada's Recovery. Um, I must say I was truly amazed with that document, not only for, for those MPs or, you know, it's a great read for everybody. It tells us, you know, what FCM is all about uh, and the partnering uh, that FCM does and, and, and why FCM is so important to all of our communities in Canada. Well, well thank you, Joy. That's so nice to hear. And, uh, you know, we've been on the receiving the feedback from, from members of Parliament uh, as well, saying that it's very helpful to convert by view. The success really, you know, It of is. the priorities we can day in and day out from our members right across the country. Uh, and that's the value, right? We, we're able to bring those voices uh, to the table uh, with the federal government and with, with other um, national groups uh, who, are, who have, have a lever that, that needs to be part of the conversation. So uh, we're, we're quite pleased uh, with it, but, but it uh, underscores the necessity of being as in tune, as reflective uh, of our members and driven by our members' priorities as we need to be. So true. Uh, Carol, before I let you go, uh, if you, if it's possible, can you give me one positive and probably one negative, if there's any, in this uh, past budget, uh, this past federal budget? Okay, well, I would, I'd have to say the, the most positive is the progress on housing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in particular, the fact that it's really aimed at enabling uh, and, and tooling municipalities and essential partners in, in solving the crisis. So that's the top positive. The negative, I would say, is that that we, you know, there there wasn't as much progress on infrastructure as, as we know that is necessary, right? We talked about it from the climate adaptation side, um, but beyond that, you know, we have a real necessity to, to recover from COVID and build a post-COVID legacy of a high-quality local infrastructure, cleaner water for Canadians across the country. Uh, so that's going to need to be an increasing focus going forward, and certainly where our activity will be. Wonderful. Thanks, uh, Carl, for joining me today on this podcast. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to, to reconnect with you and Tony, and, and really appreciate uh, both that you're doing this podcast and the opportunity to be a part of it. Yeah, I, I, I wish you all the best, and I wish FCM all the best on advocating uh, for our all of our municipalities moving forward. And uh, if you don't mind, say hi to all my friends at FCM. I miss you all. <laughs> we miss you too. So right back at you.
Have a good one, Carol. Thanks for, uh, for being with me today. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. That was my conversation with Carol Sab, CEO of the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. On this episode, we focus on the recent federal budget and what effect it will have on our municipalities. I would like to thank Carol for speaking with me on this important issue. I would also like to apologize for the poor audio. For more information on this topic, please visit budget.gc.ca or fcm.ca. Once again, thank you for listening, and until we chat again, have a great one.